If you're joining us online, I'm very warm to you as well. We are streaming the service uh, every Sunday, so great to have you in your lounges, um, as well as those that are here physically. And um, we're in Acts chapter 4, um, as we continue our, our journey through um, the story of the early church. And uh, one of the great benefits of preaching verse by verse um, through a book of the Bible is that we get the whole counsel of God. We can't just pick and choose kind of the easier passages of Scripture. And so I want to say up front that uh, the next two passages that we're going to look at as we, as we look at how the, the early church handled money and possessions are challenging with a capital C both this week as we look at their positive model and also next week as we look at how they got it wrong with Ananias and Sapphira. But this is good and this is what we want. We want to be provoked. We want to be challenged by God's word so that we grow. There's no point in having superficial messages that we just hear and say, that was great, but it doesn't impact our lives. We want to be kind of cut to the heart as it says the early believers were when they heard Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. And uh, when Imbonisi preached on that passage in Acts chapter 2 uh, a couple of weeks ago, that's the thing that really stood out for me. Um, that's the thing that we kind of really talked about in our life group that week is, is being cut to the heart because that's what we want. We want God's word to have a deep impact on us, to, to really change us, to have this transformative effect in our lives so that, we, that we're different and that we grow. And so that, that's what we're looking for this morning, for, for God to speak, for him to cut us to the heart and, and to really change us. And so we're needing God's help this morning um, because we're in a spiritual battle. And when we talk about money, we're, we're really on the front lines of that battle because let's be clear, money is a God that competes for our devotion and our worship. It's a God with a small G, but um, it's a God nevertheless. Money itself is, is neutral, it's, not, it's neither good or bad, but it, it can set us itself up as, as an idol in our lives, something that we, we give our lives to, something that we devote ourselves to. And Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject. A full 15% of Jesus' recorded words are about money. And if we look at the Bible as a whole, uh, there are 500 verses on prayer, but there are 2,000 verses on money. Why? Because money is, just, is not just money. It's, it's something which, which promises us things. It promises us security and, and, and status, and it, and it competes for our devotion. But it's a false God, and it can, never, it can never actually deliver these things, and it always keeps us wanting more. Jesus called it the deceitfulness of wealth. It, uh, it sets itself up as something that's worth living for, something that can give us happiness and security, but it can never deliver these things. And uh, it, it's, it's a lie, it's a deception. And so as a result, we need to wrestle with the power that money has in our lives. We need to fight. And uh, in, in Paul's letter to, to Timothy, he, where he famously said, fight the good fight of the faith, in the verses immediately preceding that, Paul is, is saying to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And so that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to wrestle with this um, together as we, as we come to God's Word. And so let's come with a sense of openness for God to, to challenge us, for God to mold us, and with a sense of expectation for God to speak to us this morning. And so, and so let's pray. Well, thank you so much that we can gather in your presence this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you're amongst us, that you're, you're speaking to us. And Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. Thank you that your word is the foundation on which we can build our lives. And so Lord, we, we come this morning and we just say, 
we're open to you, Lord God. We're open for, to, for your word to, to mold and change us. And Holy Spirit, we, we pray for your help. We, we acknowledge that we desperately need your help. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come upon us in power. Thank you for your presence here already. We just pray more, more of you, Holy Spirit. Will you anoint me, Lord, to, to bring your word? And will you open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to receive this with faith and to apply it? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, we're in Acts chapter 4, and uh, if, you, if you're just joining us, just to give you some context, uh, the, the, the story is that, that Peter and John, they, they healed a crippled guy, and uh, that caused a, a lot of attention and commotion, and uh, the Jewish leaders were really unhappy with this, um, so they had uh, Peter and John arrested, um, thrown into jail, and they dragged them before the Sanhedrin, they were asked to give an account of what they're doing, uh, and then they threatened them, and they say, you're, you're not allowed to speak any longer in this name of Jesus, and, uh, and Peter and John back to the other believers, um, they gather together uh, and they pray. And that's where we pick it up. Um, so we're in, in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, um, and it says the following, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon us this morning. And they spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so in this passage, we see two key effects of believing in Jesus. The first is that a love for people is strengthened. They were of one heart and mind. And secondly, a love for things is weakened. They shared everything they had. They, they sold their, their, their houses. They sold land. And, and they brought it so there would be no needy persons among them. And uh, so what we see is really a powerful picture um, of, a, of a family community that has deep love for one another. And it's, it's very similar to how, you, how, how we see a, a nuclear family. So in, in, in my family, you know, we, we don't say, um, you know, that's my fork or that's my plate or, or that's my fridge. We don't claim these things as, as belonging just to, to one person. They're, they're shared resources for the, for the, for the house to enjoy. They're, they're something that we, we all share together. And when there's a need, like someone is sick or there's a financial need, we don't kind of have to pray about it or think about it or, or wrestle with it in order to, to meet that need. No, it's, you know, we, we take our, our shared financial resources and we provide for whatever needs there are in the family. That's what we see in the church here. They were a family that loved each other so deeply that there wasn't this concept of, of individualism. There wasn't this concept of an individual family unit. No, we're together as a family, and we want to make sure that, that everyone is taken care of and that, that all the needs are met, and, and, and we, we love each other deeply enough to, to give up you know, serious material possessions like our house or our land and to distribute that so that there's no need amongst us. And so it's, a, it's this powerful picture of, of, of a family, a radical picture. And what we see in this passage is that it's enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The passage starts with the believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it says, the, the, the apostles, with great power, the apostles testified, and God's grace was so powerfully among them. 
And so, uh, yeah, there, there, there was there was much of the Holy Spirit. This was a community on fire for God. And uh, I don't know if you if you remember, but um, at at the at the beginning of the year, um, Imbonisi kicked off the year. We're talking about the heart behind our vision. And it was the first Sunday we, we gathered back. And he asked a question which is very relevant for today. And that is, how can we determine what our spiritual temperature is? I don't know if you remember the answer to that question. But, uh, but Jesus gave it to us when he said that all the law and the prophets can be summed up by love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the key point that Mbidisi was making is that we can tell how we're doing on the first part, love the Lord your God, with how we're doing on the second, loving people. And what this passage shows us is that one, one of the most important barometers of how we're doing at loving people is how we spend our money. In this passage, the only example Luke gives of how they worked out living in, in, in one heart and mind was how they spent their, their money and how they treated their possessions. And that's because there's this powerful relationship between our spiritual condition and how we handle money and possessions. And there, there are very many examples of this close relationship in Scripture. Um, just one is Zacchaeus. And uh, when Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, when, the, when the, Zacchaeus the tax collector was saved, the only evidence that Jesus gave for, for saying that was that Zacchaeus said, I'm, today I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor. And whoever I've cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times. Richard Halverston put it like this, money is an exact index to a man's true character. So this is super important. How we're doing on money is an accurate reflection on how spiritually healthy we are, on how deeply the gospel has penetrated our lives so that our love for people is strengthened and our love for things is weakened. And with that framing, let's dive into these, these important but also challenging verses. The passage be begins with uh, all the believers. And so I want you to notice that word, um, believers, because that's, the, that's where everything starts here um, with what we believe. It's the root of everything that happens in this passage. And so that's the first point that we're going to look at, a belief that must be practiced. And uh, we are all believers in the sense that we have a, a view of ultimate reality. Um, we have a view of um, who we are and where we're from. And, uh, and, and so you know, we're all people of faith. Uh, whether we believe in God or we don't, that re both require faith. And our beliefs then shape our actions. You know, our behavior follows our, our belief. And it's the same with money. How we spend our money flows from um, what we believe about you know, things like what's the purpose of life and, and who am I and where did I come from? What's our vision of a good life? And uh, for example, many in Nairobi believe in God, but also believe that God's primary purpose is to bless me materially. And so accumulation of, of personal wealth is seen as, as evidence of a godly life. It's seen as evidence of faith. And so that's what, what people pursue. Others from more secular Western culture uh, that either sidelines or dismisses God don't have a perspective on, on life beyond this life. You know, we're, we're just a natural consequence um, of natural forces, and there's, there's no um, ultimate spiritual reality, so no eternity. And so the, the natural consequence of that is that actually I'll, I'll just live for this life. I'm just going to invest in, uh, in living um, for maximizing my, my personal happiness and wealth in this life. It's also a very individualistic view because it's, it's, it's saying, you know, I'm, I'm autonomous. I'm in control of my life and, and no one has the right to dictate to me what to do. And so it's, it's my money. Uh, it's my time. It's my life. And I'm going to invest and use these things in whatever way I can to maximize my personal happiness. 
And one of the ways that, you know, one of the best ways I can do that is just to, is to buy as many nice things as I, as I can, to, to have as nice a life um, as I can. That's the, that's the vision of a good life for me. And if that's how you're living, I want to ask, are you sure that you're right? Because your life is based on a belief that there is either no God or if there is a God that is there to serve and bless you. But are you sure about that? Or are you just living that way because you're largely influenced by the beliefs and, uh, of those around you? And it, this is really critical because, um, you know, what, what you, because you're investing your one life based on these beliefs. And if the Bible is true, it's going to determine how you ultimately spend eternity. And so I want to encourage you, uh, you know, if you haven't grappled with these things, in, investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. Think about these things. We have an Alpha course going on at the moment. Uh, it's not too late to kind of sign up and, 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 and find out more. That, that Alpha course is designed to allow you to investigate the claims of Jesus Christ. But um, the Christian view is, is radically different. Because what does it say these, these early Christians believed? They believed that their possessions were not their own. I just want to let that sink in. Maybe you're waiting for some kind of disclaimer after, after that statement. But there isn't one. Everything belongs to God. All of your assets, your investments, your, your property, your possessions, they're not yours. They belong to God. He is the one who created us. He's the author of life. He's the one that's redeemed us through, through the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now all of our lives, all that we own, belong to him. We're merely stewards of what God has given us. That, that's what a steward is. It's someone who looks after or manages someone else's property. And so as we look at the early church, this is what they believed, and the radical way that they lived, selling their land and possessions to ensure that there was no needy among them, is just a, a consistent application of, of this belief um, and a love for people. And they got this directly from Jesus. He said things like, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. And that's exactly what we see them doing here. They, they were caring for the needy among them because they had a, a great love for each other. And so when they, when they saw need, when they saw, you know, some amongst us are, are struggling and, and I've got plenty, that's not right. I'm, you know, there, there needs to be a provision for these needs. And so I'm going to go sell my land. I'm going to provide for these needs that are amongst us. And so they were a community um, of deep love. And this also flowed out of the model of Jesus. As Sean was saying this morning, Jesus became poor for our sake. He, he gave up heaven. He came down. He humbled himself as a man. He became a servant. He sacrificed himself on our behalf so that we could become rich. And so the gospel, the power of the gospel, the model of Jesus, the example of it, provoked them as well as a, a, just to live in love for each other. And they were motivated not only by love for each other, but also by this belief in eternity. There's a kingdom that's not of this earth, which is our, our Father's good pleasure to give us, and that uh, we can take nothing from this earth into that kingdom, but that God has set it up in a way that we can use earthly wealth. We can use what he's given us to steward to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven that, that cannot fade or spoil, um, that is secure by giving it away. And as we look at this story and this church community, 
you know, sharing everything, selling land. It can seem very radical to us in 2021, but in reality, it should be normal given the truth that we believe. So actually what needs to be happen, what needs to happen is for us to actually start to practice what we believe. But that is, that is easier said than done. And uh, I'm very aware of this. I'm, I'm preaching to myself as I've grappled with these verses. I'm, I'm deeply challenged. And I, and I, and I know that, that that is the same for us. This, this, this thing, this is difficult. And um, the reason it's difficult is because there's a, a claim that money has that has to be broken in our lives. Verse 32 says, No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. We may think that we have a claim on our money, but what the Bible teaches is that money has a claim on us. It wants to control us. Jesus talked about money as being a master. Paul Piff is a, um, a psychology researcher at the um, University of Berkeley in California. And about 10 years ago, he did a, um, a study, which I, I think um, affirms what a lot of us will, will know from our experience. And that is that the poor are more generous than the rich. And what he did was he gave a, a whole host of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds $10 and said, you can spend it in any way you want. Um, you, can, you can buy a cup of coffee, you can give it away, do what you want. And then he tracked what they did with it. And uh, his, the, the results were overwhelming that those that are in a, in a low-income bracket were 44% more generous than those in a high-income bracket. Why? Because money has a claim on us, and we're, we're naturally selfish, and, and then money just feeds into that selfishness and emphasizes it. And the more we have, the more of a claim it has on us so that we become less generous. The other interesting thing that he found is that the reason why poor people were more generous is that they had compassion which more wealthy people didn't. And so it, it affirms what we see in, in, in Scripture, that it's a, a love for people that's a key motivation for us to give. And the word for claim in Greek um, is, is this word lego. And, and if there's any Greek people here, I, I apologize because I'm sure I'm messing up that pronunciation. Um, but lego means to, to take up something into your life, to name it so that it becomes part of you. And so it becomes my money and my land and my possessions, it's in, it's in part of me. It's part of my identity and my status. And we know this to be true. Um, think about what happens when, when someone asks you for money, whether it be someone in the church or a friend. When someone asks you for money, and I know for me often my, my first response is resistance. Why is that? It's because it's, it's mine, and I need to decide, and I need to, to consider because it's, it's, it's my money. And if I'm giving it away, it's, you know, it's part of me that, that's going out. Or we put conditions on, on our giving. You know, we, we want um, to either be acknowledged or, or we want um, to, to know exactly how the money is going to be spent. And so we put conditions on it because we want sort of some sort of social or psychological, emotional compensation, something in return because we're losing part of ourselves. And so in our experience, we can all acknowledge the, this claim that money has. And two of the main reasons for this is that money promises us both status and security. Firstly, status. You know, the culture in which we live to a large extent defines success in terms of wealth. And so we can easily associate our social status with how much we own, we can link our value to our wealth. Identity becomes linked to things like our job title um, or the car that we drive or the school that our kids go to or the phone that we have. And that can feed into a sense of inferiority if we have little or a sense of superiority if we have much. You know, we naturally tend to feel better about ourselves if we have more. 
And, uh, and then we can start to feel actually we're, we're, we're superior, we're better to those that have less. And secondly, money promises security. We can falsely believe that if we store up enough for ourselves, that we will be protected and safe from the shocks of life, right? That, that gives us a sense of security. that something bad happens, as long as I've, I've got enough, I'm going to be okay. And that's why Jesus so often connects money to fear or worry, in the Luke chapter 12 um, verse that we were looking at earlier where Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy, how does he start that verse? He starts with, fear not, little flock. And in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is talking about money, he says, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will wear or what you will eat, what you will drink, things that, that money can buy. And, and what Jesus says is, look at the birds of the air. They don't store up food and bonds, but your Father in heaven feeds them. And so I think often uh, one of our biggest issues isn't stinginess, it's fear. We worry that it's risky to give away money because then maybe we won't have enough in future to take care of ourselves. And that's because ultimately we, we're trusting in money for our security. And that's something that only God can provide. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying um, that you shouldn't you know, abandon all financial planning principles and that saving and investing is not what you, sh you should be doing. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm in the financial services industry. But what I am saying is that our primary trust for our future should not be in our bank account or in our investments or in our property. And that we should be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us to sometimes give away large sums as we see the early church doing. We should, we should be open to that. Because the heart of the matter is that we need to live free from the claim that money has over us so that it doesn't master us. And it's critical that we do because if Jesus isn't Lord of your money, then he isn't Lord at all. Jesus said that himself. He said, no one can serve two masters for either you'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Because money is more than money. It has a spiritual power and it wants to master us. And there's only room for one throne in our lives and we need to choose. And so what Jesus is saying is if you're, if you're currently choosing money, then you aren't serving God. Because if Jesus isn't Lord of our money, then he isn't Lord at all. And I know what I'm saying is, is provoking and it's challenging. But it's good. It's for our good. And it's truth. Jesus wants to give us freedom from the claim that money has over our lives, from the lies it wants us to believe. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear this morning. So how do we break the power of money in our lives? Well, I think the first thing that we see, the first thing that's fundamental is what we believe. And so we need to fight with truth. We need to fight against these false claims of money with the truth that as believers, our, our value, our identity, our status is, is rooted and secured in the fact that we are children of God, that we are loved and accepted by Him. 
that he looks at he looks at the heart he doesn't judge by external things like our material possessions the truth that god is sovereign that he is looking after our lives that he will take care of us in all seasons of life as we trust in him the truth that that money is uncertain and that and it cannot cannot provide security for us the truth that um you know we, we have an eternity ahead of us and if we we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven rather than on this earth then that will be enjoyed forever but what we also see in this passage, besides just kind of believing truth, is that we also need the power of the Holy Spirit. This, the, the Holy Spirit and His power is mentioned over and over in these verses. And so the early believers were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and enabled them to speak boldly, but it also empowered them to, to love people more and to love things less. And so we need more of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing I would say is that we need to, we need to start putting, you know, actually giving because as we do that, we break, start to break the power that money has in our lives, and, and we get more freedom. And you know, so, so that's been my experience. You know, it's counterintuitive, but when I'm completely trusting God and, and open to Him and, and, and giving away as He directs me to, directs us to, I worry less about the future, because there's a freedom that comes, because then I'm actually putting my trust in God for the future, which is rock solid, instead of money, which is insecure. So there's a freedom that comes, a blessing and a joy that comes. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And that is absolutely true. As, 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 we, as we give away and we see the, the joy and the blessing that comes to other people's lives, we see their needs being met, we see their encouraged, Faith being built as, as God answers their prayers for provision um, using us. It's an amazing blessing and amazing joy. So we need to fight with truth. We need to pray, Holy Spirit, help us, give us power. And we need to start putting into practice to start giving. We're given one specific example um, of this in the passage. Um, we're introduced to, to Barnabas um, in verses 36 and 37. And it says the following, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And that's all it says for now. But later on in Acts, we will see um, Barnabas as the advocate of the new convert Paul uh, in Acts chapter 9, the shepherd of the new Gentile converts um, in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, uh, the one who's trusted with the relief for the poor, also Acts chapter 11, um, the first partner of Paul on his missionary journeys as they both sent out from Antioch, Acts chapter 13, um, and the advocate for giving John Mark a second chance in Acts chapter 15. And so Barnabas is this model for us. And he is, he's one of the, the most trusted, reliable, lovable leaders of the early church. And right here in Acts chapter 4, Luke shows us how his ministry began, how set free by the Holy Spirit from the love of things and motivated by a deep love for people, he took the land that he owned, he sold it, and he, he brought it to the apostles' feet. And that's how it started. He was faithful with money, and God took him and used him to powerfully build the early church and to give us an example of a life well lived. He gave up the security of that land, but God gave him the kingdom. And so one tribe, I want to say to us, let's be like Barnabas. He's a model for us. And as we move into, into to, to giving some practical applications now, it's essentially that we want to live like Barnabas. 
And so the first thing uh, in terms of application is that we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. We've seen very clearly, this, we cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to come and say, Lord, will you please help me? Holy Spirit, will you empower me to, to live in a new way in terms of my relationship with money? And we need to be open. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And we need to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, um, he has all that I am, all that I have. Please, will you speak to me? Will you guide me on how you want me to steward the money that you've given me? And then be open, being obedient to however the Holy Spirit leads us. So that's the first and, and key thing. But the, the Bible is also not without kind of practical frameworks for how we do this. And so the second thing I would say is, is start with tithing. Tithing is, is biblical practice of giving 10% of our income um, to the local church, to, to God's work. And it's a biblical practice that existed from the Old Testament through into the New Testament. And so I would say if you're not tithing, start with that. Start with giving 10% of the money that you get every month and, and giving it to God. And uh, that's a way of, of loving people um, because it enables the, the mission that we're on. And um, in terms of needy amongst us, it, Every, every month, out of the, the money that's given to One Tribe, we apportion a certain amount that goes to the Mercy Fund, which is a fund that we've set up um, in order to provide for the needy amongst us. And it's administered by, by a team. Um, you can apply. Uh, and uh, every month, we're distributing um, to people who have need. And so the more we give, the more we're able to, to meet needs like that. And our goal is obviously that there'd be no needy amongst us. The other thing I would say is that what we see in this passage is that the believers took the, the money that they were giving and they brought it to the leaders of the local church. They brought it to the apostles for them to distribute as they saw fit. And that's a, another biblical principle that we see throughout the New Testament, that our primary giving should be to the local church. Now, there, there are very many, um, very worthy other causes, very many organizations that are doing great work that are Christian but the biblical practice is that our primary giving, at least our tithe, should be brought to the local church to be used for the building of God's kingdom. And then the third application is that we actually want to move beyond just tithing because that's what we see in this passage. And the whole point of us doing this Acts series is to, is to look at what it says, to look at what the early church were doing, and then, and then to apply that. To, because we want one tribe to be like this. Acts is like a, a blueprint. It's a model of what the church life should be like. And so we're, every, every week we're, we're saying, Lord, how do we apply this in one tribe? Last week we preached on prayer, and so, so we had a week of prayer. This week we're preaching on um, how we handle our money and possessions. And so we want to make available an opportunity for us to give generously, to give beyond our tithes.